0: than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Complete a coal really building to the single bound. The integral of shipbound is now the Hello and welcome to the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. My name is Bob Fisher. How are you? A while since we've been together and talked about just stuff in the Superman world, and a lot has happened since the last time we just had one of these kinds of shows. Uh, But there's a lot going on on this particular episode. Uh, We're going to have three different segments. The first will just be a little talk about Supergirl, the TV show. Also, an update in some of the current goings-on at DC Comics. Some of the comics that are out. And uh, in the main section will be a little tribute to Murphy Anderson, who passed away. So, Supergirl. Woo doggy, (laughs) Man, am I loving this show. The pilot plus two episodes have uh, aired. And so much good on that show. And we're starting right off with Melissa Benoist. What a perfect casting job to get this young lady to play Supergirl. And Kara, just terrific, just terrific. In fact, I think the casting overall has uh, just been spectacular. I love the attitude of the show. But let's talk a little bit, real quickly, about some of the casting. Callista Flockhart as Cat Grant. Loving the character. I know some people are a little annoyed with her, but I really like this Cat Grant. And I think as the series progresses, we're going to see more and more of her in different aspects and different sides of this character. And I just think, uh, again, brilliant casting. Love Cat Grant. Love Callista in this particular character as the big bad boss of, uh, uh, of her media, media conglomerate. So uh, I'm looking forward to that relationship between Cat Grant and Supergirl slash Kara to go on and on and on. Really like it so far. Another thing that some people have uh, complained about is the casting of McCod Brooks as James the grown-up man Olsen. Some will say, oh, it's totally out of character. Jimmy Olsen is, you know, the rec- uh, the redhead, freckle-face cub reporter for the Metropolis Daily Planet getting into trouble all the time. Blam, 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 blam. Alright, fine. I think the character is perfect because in this universe in that they are establishing here with Supergirl, Superman has been on the job as Superman for over a decade. I have no problem seeing the young cub reporter, Jimmy Olsen, Being a young cub reporter, Goofy, getting into trouble, but growing up as one of the best friends of Superman, maturing in his own right, becoming a mature, grown-up adult. I have no problem seeing McCod Brooks as James Olsen at all. Uh, I actually like what they've done with him. And to be honest, if you're going to use one of Superman's Uh, uh, cast of characters, his supporting cast, to kind of bridge between Superman and the Supergirl. Jimmy Olsen is a perfect character to do that with. Absolutely a great idea. I see no problems with young Jimmy Olsen growing up, being with Superman as his pal for over a decade winning awards as a photographer, as a photographic journalist, and then moving on and becoming head of, uh, I forget what department he is head of, artistic, the art department, whatever, the graphics, whatever his job title is, uh, uh, with the Cat Grant company, <laughs> CatCo. No problems at all with this characteristics. And we've seen the little goofiness of of Jimmy slip in in the last couple of episodes. And one of my favorite things, we've seen him use the signal watch to contact Superman. That was a good scene. And uh, and it's interesting the way they're doing that with this relationship between uh, uh, James Olsen and Kara slash Supergirl. I can't wait to see more of this. I think they're hitting all of the right beats so far uh, with this show. And uh, I'm I'm in. I'm in for the long haul. Uh, now, they do have it up against Gotham, the time slots. And both of their ratings seem to be holding okay. Now, obviously, Supergirl had a tremendous opening debut and had very high ratings. And those ratings dropped for the second... Uh, episode, which is understandable. Many shows do that. Have high ratings for their pilot, their opening first season, and then it'll settle down to their regular viewers. Ratings are still respectable. Uh, I don't have any problems with that so far. Totally understandable. They're very respectable. Still higher than Gotham, which is on at the same time. I wish they weren't on opposite each other, but luckily, Gotham is on Hulu less than 24 hours later. So there are other ways to see Gotham. Right now, Supergirl uh, uh, is on CBS. CBS, it's a little harder, a little more difficult to to catch a rerun, to catch uh, Supergirl in delayed if you don't have a uh, a DVR of some kind, if you're not able to record it to watch later, if you'd rather watch Gotham first and Supergirl uh, at some other time a little harder to do that so what i have been doing is watching supergirl live and then uh later that night or the next night watching gotham on hulu they are keeping in uh keeping track of not necessarily the hulu or the other ratings from those services but they are doing a thing called live plus three which means three days later for those people who have DVR'd it and, and and Supergirl's ratings are holding steady and doing fine uh, I think her audience she's going to find a good audience and I I, <laughs> I just really really like the show so I do hope that CBS uh, has the confidence to uh, keep the show going and, and renew other shows uh, they have already uh, ordered uh, more episodes of other uh, shows that are getting smaller ratings than Supergirl. So uh, that that gives us a little hope that CBS will renew Supergirl and keep it going for a while. Uh, looking forward to it. There, they, the, some of the other complaints that some people have, have brought up is that they hope it doesn't get into the uh, uh, monster of the week, the bad guy of the week, the supervillain of the week. Uh, but I think they, they laid the groundwork pretty well with the... Uh, the crashing of uh, Fort Roz and all those bad guys uh, getting out and, uh, you know, now apparently being on Earth. I also think that I saw a couple of people say, oh, with all those Krypto- super Kryptonians on the planet and blah, blah, blah. Well, they're not all Kryptonians, as they stated. There are some Kryptonians, but there are also some other aliens who were put into Fort Roz in the Phantom Zone. So, We'll see more of that, and uh, I don't think we have to worry. It looks like they are working on the relationship of the characters. That seems to be um, part of Berlanti's, the producer Berlanti. Um, that's part of his M.O. If you've been watching Flash and Arrow, uh, you'll see that uh, it's those shows are strong on character development and overarching storylines. That even while the Flash may have a, a, a supervillain of the week. We're also seeing the relationships of all the other characters, Barry and Joe West and Iris and all of the other characters, of course. And now that they've brought in some Earth 2 stuff, uh, they've really opened that, that uh, wide open. And was that not cool or what, seeing uh, the flash of two worlds? And they did that little quick scene of the two of them from that comic cover. Just just terrific, so um, really enjoying what the superhero TV shows have been doing, um, and I just think Supergirl is a great addition to it, and look forward to what they're doing. Uh, also, one other thing before I leave Supergirl, uh, others have thought, why did she tell her secret to win shot? Uh, the Toyman, it's not the Toyman, okay? Apparently, it's the son of the Toyman. And they've already cast... The reason I say that is that I saw a thing where they have cast an actor to play the senior Mr. Winslow Shot, who was the Toy Man, who will be apparently on a future episode trying to reconcile with his estranged son. So very interesting stuff they've got going on. They're throwing names at us. So in the show we have Hank Henshaw also as part of the D.E.O., I love the relationship between Kara and her sister. Uh, They've brought Lucy Lane in now. People are griping about Lucy Lane. Oh, that's another Superman. No, no, look back. That part of the Jimmy Olsen storyline of the comic books. Lucy Lane has been Jimmy Olsen's girlfriend on and off for a long, long time. Since I was a little kid in the comics. So... I think that was another really nice stroke bringing Lucy into this as his former girlfriend who now wants to try to get back with him. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So they're bringing in things to make it not only love triangles, but love quadrangles and and parallelograms and other things. So really looking forward to how they develop and continue this stuff going for Supergirl. So if you're not watching Supergirl yet, why for crying out loud? Man, get on it. Let's start watching this show. Such a good, 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 good show. Thoroughly enjoying it. So, uh, oh, oh, Hank Henshaw. Hank Henshaw. Now, those of us who've been reading comics for a long time, when the name Hank Henshaw comes up, uh, we almost instantly think of Cyborg Superman from the 90s. Are they going that angle or not? We don't know yet. And. Uh, they've given us a little hint about Hank Henshaw, and we do know now even just two episodes in or three episodes in we do know that he is not what he appears to be and people are assuming because of the comics that yes he has uh, is somehow the cyborg Superman because they, 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 there's been two little clues tons of spoilers here by the way I guess I should have said that up front but there have been two little, a couple of little clues about the identity of Hank Henshaw. One in a closing scene where as he walks by the camera, his eyes glow red. And in the very next episode, he knows that uh, Supergirl's sister, Alexis, is in the uh, DEO headquarters by not seeing her, but hearing her or mentally hearing her of some kind. Now, does Cyborg Superman have those kinds of powers? Well, it was a little weird because was he using his super hearing to hear her or was it mental? Was he reading her thoughts to know she was in there? Now, why do I bring that up? Why do I say that? I say that because when I heard that Hank Henshaw, when I saw the show and knew there's Hank Henshaw again, I, like a lot of people, thought Cyborg Superman. But Michael Bailey uh, brought forth an idea I saw on Facebook. There were Michael Bailey, from crisis to crisis, views from a long box, friend of this show, theorizes that Hank Henshaw may not be Cyborg Superman in this uh, universe, in this show. He might be the Martian Manhunter. Ooh, doggy. Yeah, I know. That's pretty cool. I hope you're right on that one, Michael. I really do. I really hope you're right on that. That would be a very cool uh, take on this character and bring in another uh, good guy superhero that uh, would add to it. I don't really want Hank Hinshaw to be the bad guy here. You know, Uh, I want him to be a good guy. So that would be very cool. So um, that's about it for Supergirl. We've got one coming up where Supergirl meets and fights and is taught by or learned somehow. Uh, I don't know how to phrase this, but it's the Red Tornado is going to be on the show. Can't wait to see how they pull that off. So uh, anyway, I think Supergirl is hitting a lot of really, really, really good beats. And I'm totally looking forward to the rest of it. I hope you are, too. I hope you're watching this show. It has my highest super recommendation. Watch Supergirl.
1: Hi, my name is Teresa and my name is Rebecca. Do you like Supergirl? We do too. And we're super excited to bring you a fan podcast
0: devoted to the upcoming Supergirl TV series on CBS from Greg Berlanti and Ali Adler, starring Melissa Benoist as the Girl of Steel. Check in
1: with us every week for news and discussion about the last daughter of Krypton, Supergirl Radio, your source for all things Supergirl. Steel and more. SupermanHomepage.com Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled and network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero.
0: Superman. superman podcast network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the superman legend featuring
1: superman and batman
0: golden age superman
1: the superman fan podcast
0: the dc comics present show
1: from crisis to crisis a superman podcast it's superman the schuster herald podcast the carousel podcast superman forever radio superman lives up up and away Cadmus to crisis a superboy podcast the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen podcast, the world's best podcast, and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com Homepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Russell Bride, Brad, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sab, Bob Fisher, Chris Moe Chris Mo, Mario Benesi, Drew Wintermeyer, David Bayer. Matthew Epps, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com
0: Let's turn our attention to DC Comics and current DC Comics. I will say briefly that I am still not digging action and Superman. This storyline has been going on way, way, way too long. I don't like the character. I'm just not into this character. I don't get the good feelings that I think one should be getting when you're reading a Superman comic book. There seems to be a lot of this whole... ...on the bandwagon of, uh, gee, let's explore a depowered Superman... ...an angry Superman, a this Superman or a that Superman... ...everything but a fully powered, sci-fi, planet-moving hero. We're just not going to get that guy for a while. It's just that simple. And there are several new books on the stand. One I'm not reading uh, that's about an apathetic Superman... I forgot even what it's called, to be honest with you, and I'm sorry about that, but I just don't want to spend a lot of time on stuff, reading stuff about a Superman that I'm not into. I hope you're enjoying it, but I just don't want to read that kind of stuff anymore. Although I am still reading the two main titles, Action and Superman, I've got, you know, my Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, Superman are over there stacked up, I just... You know, I just don't have the willpower anymore to keep reading about this guy. And now, especially—and more spoilers—if you haven't read it, um, as of the most recent issue that I have read, Superman is now. Are you ready for this? He's drawn. He's basically joined a fight club. He's become a street fighter and will wear the costume or the cape of Superman. But still not Superman. That's right, he's going to he's joined a fight club. Just when you think it couldn't get lower, it couldn't get worse, it gets worse. So if you're enjoying this really good, maybe you could send me some email. Let me know why you're enjoying this. Bob at Supermanforever.com. Uh, What do you see in this guy? I have heard reviews from a few people who do like it, who think it's just another adventure in the life of the same Superman they've been reading for years and years and years. Okay, I don't get that feeling. I don't get any good feelings from this guy at all. There have been the random panels of Superman that yes, he is standing up for the crowd. But then in the next panel, he uses full power and hits a cop and then says, Oh, good thing that was a shadow monster or I could have killed him. Not very Superman to me. His inner thoughts, things like, Paul Kent would really be upset at this. But then he goes ahead and does it anyway. Wow, that thing's feeding off my anger. I need to control my anger. But he gets angry and hits him and fights anyway, knowing it's the wrong thing to do. That's just not the Superman I want to read about. But there is a comic now that, you know, because of the cover and an interview with the writer, I was not going to read. Uh, The cover shows, uh, it's all in blue, so it's at night, in the cornfield, a young boy with red anger, glowing red eyes of anger. And I thought, no, not that's not what I want anymore. I don't want the glowing red eyes of anger coming from Superman, even as a kid, anymore. And it's written by Max Landis, whom w- interviews I've read with him, and of course his uh, The Death of Superman parody. I, I just didn't, I just thought, no, no, I just don't want to. Uh, uh, but gave in, read the first issue anyway. And thought, wow, this is really good. (laughs) Um, The first issue is basically about the young Clark Kent's uh, power of flight hitting him at a young boy. Now, there's some reminiscence of uh, some Smallville, some Man of Steel. There are some little tidbits here and there. But uh, it's really sweet. It's really a good story. For the first, now this is a mini series uh, written by Max Landis, and it's going to be seven, I think. Now, the first issue, as I said, is focused on uh, the young 10, 11, 12 year old Clark Kent learning to fly. Now, this kind of flies in the face of the new 52, which he didn't learn to fly until he was an adult, and etc. Uh, etc. Uh, But his flight power comes on and he can't control it and other things happen. And it's just how the Kents, who are much younger in this story, they're very young. Some purist of the old age might have some problems with the Kents being so young. I don't have a problem personally with that. The the age of the Kents doesn't bother me. They've been an elderly couple. They've been a young couple. They've been a middle-aged couple. They've been all over the place Over the decades. So, their age doesn't bother me one way or the other. It's how they react to Clark's onset of super abilities that could bother me one way or the other, or um, encourage me one way or the other, and how they deal with these powers and how they teach him to use these powers. That is the crux of a good young Clark Kent story. And I'm going to say this again. I've said it before. During the Grant Morrison uh, run of Action Comics a few years ago when they rebooted and started the New 52, one of those issues and part of one of those issues dealt with uh, three young members of the fu- from the future of the Legion of Superheroes, Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, and Lightning Lad, uh, coming back to meet a very young Clark Kent. Before he was Superman. And that was a terrific little story. And there's two panels in that one of them, a third panel or even a half panel, showing uh, a young Clark in his little t-shirt and jeans with a cape on flying with those three because they've given him a flight ring or whatever. And the caption, the story was being told in retrospect by Superman. And the caption was, The best day of my life. And now we have this little story from Max Landis talking about a similarly aged young boy whose powers are starting to to come on and how it's dealt with by the Kents. And it's done really, really well. Again, I now encourage you to read at least the first issue. I don't know what's going to happen. And with interviews, it looks like the, the future issues of this series, American Alien... Uh, could get much darker as the series progresses. I don't know, but I'm in uh, into this now, issue by issue. So we'll see how it goes. But the first issue is 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 terrific. <laughs> it's really terrific. Some of the pacing, some of the this and that, is is um, not what it should be, but. Considering what we've been reading for the last four or five years, this is a breath of fresh air. It's optimistic. It's hopeful. And we see this kid reacting as any kid would when he learns that he can fly. It's not, oh, God, I have to hide this and be, oh, no, now what? Oh, why can't I get a date with Lana? Because now she's going to be afraid that I'm going to... No, it's excitement. And the excitement is there because of the way the Kents, and particularly Pa Kent, Jonathan, handles this situation. It it was terrific. Uh, So I encourage you to pick this first issue up anyway. And kudos to Max Landis. Just really, really wonderful, wholesome, fun beginning, and those are words I haven't used for Superman, a current Superman comic in a while. Particularly fun. But this one's worth picking up. really is. Oh! Oh! Again, I got a little distracted because what I was saying is, is that with that Grant Morrison little thing in his run of the young Clark Kent learning and flying with the, the Legion members, and now this one of what it's like to be a young Clark Kent and your powers starting to come on and how it's being dealt with that is what superboy should be not an angry angst-filled clone of superman and question mark human dna but the stories of superman when he was a boy and how the Kents and the people around him in Smallville handled the onset of these powers and how they dealt with it. That is what a Superboy comic should be. Now, people will say, oh, but if he's got the costume and the S and all that, that takes away from Superman, and that's what was wrong with Superboy. Well, see, that's the arguments they gave when uh, they rebooted in the 80s and got rid of Superboy, is that, well, it didn't make sense with him having robots and Lex Luthor and meeting all the, and having villains and bizarre, and doing all these things that would later be, you know, uh, fought or be part of Superman's life. And we can point to Superman stories where supposedly these things happened for the first time, but now you're telling me it really happened for the first time in Smallville when he was Superboy? And people kept saying, well, that Lana Lang was just a young clone of Lois Lane trying to figure out if Superboy was Clark Kent, etc., etc., etc. That was the Silver Age. And while I loved those stories, that doesn't have to be the kind of Superboy stories that are told now. It would be very easy to have a Superboy title, which are stories of Superman when he was a boy, the people in the story don't have to call him Superboy, but that could be the title of the comic. And these stories, like we've seen with Grant Mar- from Grant Morrison and now from Max Landis, shows me that it would work. A Superboy title of Superboy dealing with himself and these powers that are coming and how the Kents influenced him in the New 52 or DCU or whatever the hell they're calling it now, they have established in this continuity that his powers came on later in life and that the Kents died when he was a senior in high school in a car crash while he was at the prom or something. Not a fan of that, personally. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, I think what this shows is that stories about a young Clark Kent can be told and i personally think that would be a winner i think it would be a much better comic than what they keep trying to put on us in the superboy title which no longer exists gee i wonder why but me personally i'm really really tired of both superboy and supergirl in the comics just being angry anxious Filled young teenagers lashing out at everybody and everything around them. There is a place for positive, uplifting, fun comics. And again, the early Max, uh, the early Grant Morrison run of the New 52 Action Comics, and now Max Landis' first issue of Superman, American Alien, prove, to me anyway, that those stories can not only be told, they can be told well, and they can be positive, and I think they will sell well. Now, I may be wrong. Maybe people would rather just see an angry young Clark clone fighting everything, just like they're apparently, but they're not. I was going to say because they're, like they're liking the uh, angry Superman now, who is now a member of a fight club, Maybe they're liking this, but apparently the 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 sales aren't aren't uh, aren't showing that they're liking it. Not only is Superman not a top ten comic, it's not a top twenty comic. It's not even a top thirty comic. There are My Little Pony and other comics are outselling Superman comics. Why do you think that is? So. If you want a fun, uplifting story about the possibilities and the potential of the Superman we used to have, pick up this first issue of uh, Superman, American Alien. I think you'll enjoy it.
1: Glam, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember, if we were good men or bad, why we bought why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Mego action figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbious garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy the Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, get to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out, it's called Garage Sale Gloat, And it can only be found at 2TrueFreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the 2 True Freaks Network. Duh! You like cheap comic books, right?
0: Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about four-dollar new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky podcast network.
1: Visit us at RelativelyGeekyPodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky. Quarterbin podcast and iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men the other the caped crusader carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals for seven decades they've been the world's finest heroes they've teamed on radio comics newspapers animation and more and now they're teaming up for a podcast.
0: To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up! Up! And over. Atomic Batman. Turbines to speed. Roger.
1: Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at GreatCrypton.com
0: Murphy Anderson was born July 9th, 1926, and left the planet October 22nd, 2015. He has many credits and won many awards for his art, and worked for DC Comics for over 50 years as an artist and an inker. You know, when I uh, heard of his passing, I started to think, and I kind of, you know, was trying to think about Murphy Anderson, and again, how, where, where? You know, how did I first come across him? Well, as I said, I think I really first knew him from Hawkman or The Atom. And when you pick up a comic that you've been reading and you see his artwork for the first time, you think, well, now there's something different. And it was special. It was very different. It added another level of realism to um, otherwise cartoony or not quite, you know, I don't know if cartoony's the word, but um, uh, but anyway, his inks added something very unique to other people's pencils. Now, I was aware of his artwork long before I knew his name, because in those days of the early 60s and into the mid-60s, DC didn't give credit to their artists At in those days. It was Uh, towards the end of the 60s into the 70s, when we started to see names pop up. So that's when I was able to actually put a name to this guy's artwork. Now, granted, for most of the work he did at DC, he was an inker. Now, me, as a kid in the 60s, and I was reading pretty much all of DC's superhero comics, Justice League, Adam. Hawkman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Of course, Green Arrow was usually, didn't have his own comic in those days, but uh, he was in a backup issue. But of course, Superman, Batman, all of them. If it was a superhero and it was DC, I was reading them. So when Murphy Anderson passed away last month, I started thinking about him and his work and thinking, how do I uh, know him? And I looked up in my own database I have a comic book database, which has uh, where I keep all of my comics. I mean, I keep, you know, that's I I have entered my comic books into the database. So I just did a quick search for Murphy Anderson, and his name comes up an awful lot, (laughs) primarily as an inker, but as I said, on the Atom and later on Hawkman. uh, When you picked up some of those Hawkman early Hawkman, you you just, you knew, wow, this is something special. And in uh, Green Lantern, when he was inking Gil Kane's pencils, there was a great combination. Gil Kane and Murphy Anderson. I love that combination on the Green Lantern comics. So you might think, well, what is an inker? An inker is kind of just, isn't that inker just tracing the pencils? I mean, what kind of input would an inker actually have? Well, quite a bit, actually. More than you can uh, imagine. Now, some inkers are heavy-handed. Some have a light hand. Some literally trace, as best they can, the pencils. Some will enhance the pencils. Now, later, Murphy Anderson became... When I say later, I'm saying uh, 1969, 1970 and uh, actually the issue I'm going to talk about here in a couple of minutes was where you kind of realize what an inker can really bring to uh, the pencils of another artist and I think the issue I'm going to talk about in a minute or two here which was uh, Superman number 233 Superman volume one number 233 it's a a very famous issue. Neil Adams actually did the cover, and it's a very famous issue. Superman standing there breaking what appear to be kryptonite chains with his chest. The story inside, though, is penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about the power of an inker. Because, like I said, some people might think, well, all the inker does really is is just trace the, uh, the pencils given to him by another artist. And maybe in some cases this is true. But to really see what an inker can do, you really need go no further than compare the issue I'm going to talk about, Superman number 233, Kryptonite Nevermore, with Superman number 231 which was also drawn by Kurt Swan, but inked by Dan Atkins. Now, no offense to Mr. Atkins at all. No offense. I'm sure he was quite good. But if, like me, your favorite artist is Kurt Swan, who drew 90% of the Jimmy Olsen covers and comics, and most of... I mean, he became the definitive Superman artist from about 1958, 59 all the way uh, to 1986. I mean, we're talking a long time that Kurt Swan drew Superman. He was inked by many different artists. Stan Kay, one of Kurt Swan's favorite inkers, was George Klein, and that was an incredible team through most of the 60s, the Kurt Swan and George Klein team. But then we get into the late 60s, and particularly the la- as we're building up towards the 1970 issue of Superman 233, Dan Atkins was inking Kurt Swan. And like I say, all you really have to do to see the power of an inker is look at issue 231 and compare it to issue 233. Kurt Swan did the pencils in both of those issues. Now, 232 was a giant and it reprinted some other stories, so we're not counting 232. But then with 233, Murphy Anderson begins his um, inking duties over Kurt Swan's pencils. Now, this team of Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson became known as Swanderson. And again, look at 231 compared to issue 233 both pencils by Kurt Swan. Now, Dan Atkins has a very clean line to his inks, but to me, Dan Atkins more than George Klein or Stan Kay or anybody else that inked Kurt Swan seemed to have kind of a heavy hand. He he kind of took over sometimes the Kurt Swan pencils whereas Murphy Anderson, if it's even possible to do so, enhanced enhanced Kurt Swan's pencils. Now, I think D.C. must have known that this issue coming up, number 233, was going to be a very important issue. And in fact, uh, as history progressed and the Swanderson team uh, continued for the next almost 15 years together, this issue really shows off how good this team can be. Kurt Swann's pencils come through. There's no doubt when you look at this issue that it's a Kurt Swann-drawn issue, but it's enhanced and inked by Murphy Anderson's inks. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Now, in this issue, 233, basically the story is this, written by Denny O'Neill, who wrote many of the Superman stories now from this point. And also, before I get on this, Many people will point to issue 233 as uh, the beginning of the Bronze Age for Superman. Now, this is interesting because at the time when you're, you know, uh, when when you're reading them uh, first time out, when they're actually, you know, off the newsstand or spinner rack at the time, we weren't thinking, oh, this goes from the Silver Age to the Bronze Age now. Well, you weren't really thinking that because at the time, even though at that point in the sixties and getting going into the seventies, you weren't thinking, "Oh, we're leaving the Silver Age going into the Bronze Age because they weren't calling them that at the time now, the Golden Age was called the Golden Age, but it was more of That was the golden age of comics, because they were selling millions of them in the 40s. And uh, uh, Superman was the number one selling comic for a long time during the 40s and 50s. And it was considered the golden age of comic books. And the 60s was just simply called the modern age. It was just, these are the current comics. It was only in hindsight later as time progressed, that the distinctions between the gold and the silver and now the Bronze Age. Now, many, like I say, many people will consider this, this issue of Superman number 233, Kryptonite Nevermore, as the beginning of Superman's Bronze Age. And for several reasons. Uh, it's in this issue that even though Morgan Edge had uh, bought the Daily Planet, was now part of a media conglomerate, It was in this issue where Morgan Edge told Clark Kent that he was no longer a reporter. You work for me, and if I tell you you're a TV reporter, you are now a TV reporter. So in this particular issue is when Clark Kent becomes the TV reporter and not the newspaper reporter. It's in this issue... Where other things like that happen, where they change. And this was how they did it in those days, by the way. This is how reboots, so to speak, or adjustments were made to the character. They were done within continuity, as a continuation of what came before it. It wasn't until 1986 with the John Byrne reboot where they actually stopped it. They put an end to what had come before, made up a new origin and retold the story of Superman. And the John Byrne Superman that started then lasted, well, for quite some time. But back to this. In 1970, when this came out, they weren't thinking this is the beginning of the Bronze Age. But there were some definite changes in the look, the feel, the attitude. Uh, Clark is looking a little different. But this is, again, it's Kurt Swan. And there's no doubt this is Kurt Swan artwork, and he never looked better. So what happened in this story? Well, basically, and I'm not going to get into great detail. Others on other podcasts and and blogs and stuff have done uh, detailed synopses and and. Uh, analysis of this story. Uh, one, uh, by the way, is uh, Charlie Niemeyer on Superman in the Bronze Age. Uh, I think episode number four of that series, he talked about this issue. I may not be correct on that. You'll have to look that up. But his great podcast called Superman in the Bronze Age with Charlie Niemeyer gets into some more detail. But basically, the story is this. A, a, a scientist is... Is working on using on an experiment to use kryptonite as uh, uh, an energy source, and tells Superman about it. And uh, things go crazy. There's an explosion. Superman thinks he's prepared for it. He has a big lead shield. He's about to put over top and and contain the explosion, but gets there just a little too late and is hit by the explosion of the kryptonite radiation and knocked flat, just knocked out on his back into the desert. Uh, The other scientists come running to him as he lays there, and he gets up and and kind of says, Well, I'm okay. I'm a little shaky. Then another scientist comes up with uh, a hunk of kryptonite, saying... Look, Professor, look what happened to the kryptonite now. Then they try to stop him. Are you crazy? That'll kill Superman. But what has happened is that explosion somehow had a chain reaction, which turned all of the kryptonite on Earth to iron. Well, really, no kidding. So now there is no kryptonite on the planet. And Superman thinks wow this is terrific there you know i can't be hurt anymore. nothing can hurt me anymore and the rest of the story goes on and there's there's some just absolutely terrific scenes uh that have been uh become iconic so to speak there's a great panel of clark kent uh changing to superman and it's the multi-level thing you see clark uh and then Clark taking off part of his clothes, and then another one with a little more clothes taken off, turning into Superman and flying off. That's a great panel. There's a uh, a, a, a mugger or a robbery about to take place, and they said they were prepared. They have, you know, just in case Superman showed up, he pulls out a hunk of kryptonite, and Superman takes it from him and eats it in uh, three or four panels. It's just terrific, and that one has been shown over and over again everywhere. Um, And just those panels alone show the beauty of the Kurt Swan artwork. Kurt Swan, in my opinion, is still one of the best artists ever at showing emotion on the faces of his characters. And with this beautiful inking job of Murphy Anderson over top of it, not one panel is a throwaway in this issue. Not one. It's absolutely gorgeous. So, other things happen. Uh, The story progresses. And Superman uh, realizes that, whoa, his heat vision isn't working. uh, And uh, he's still a little wobbly. And a little... So, some of his powers are not like they were. Now, this is how, within continuity, as a continuation... They have, one, gotten rid of kryptonite, but also depowered Superman a little bit. Uh, They, while still the most impressive person and the greatest superhero in the universe, he's still now not quite as strong as he was. And all of his powers are not quite as powerful as they were. But he's still Superman. Still looks like him, still acts like him, still flies, still has all the other... Things, but now Clark Kent is no longer a reporter for the Daily Planet. He is now a TV anchor person uh, for WGBS, which owns the Daily Planet. And Morgan Edge, the you know the greedy uh, boss. So lots of things changed with this particular issue, which begins the Bronze Age in many people's point of view. And I, I, I have no problem with saying that yes, this is. The beginning of the Bronze Age for Superman. At the very least, it is the beginning of uh, something quite different. So, as the story progresses, as I said, and other things happen, and we see these changes to Superman and Clark Kent, the last panel shows a sand creature of some kind, a sand being, getting up from the Uh, Place where Superman had fallen in the desert in the sand and it left an outline of Superman in the sand. And as he gets up and flies away or whatever, towards the end of the story in the last panel, we see a sand being that looks like Superman made of sand getting up from that indented space and walking off into the sunset as sand falls off of him. And these three or four panels are absolutely incredible. You feel the sand. You see the sand. It's shading, the lighting. It's all just absolutely, did I say gorgeous? Yes, it's absolutely gorgeous. And it tells this wonderful story about this. And it actually becomes uh, the Sandman saga This is another thing that has uh, changed in the comic, or has at least been updated at this point. Previous to this particular issue, a story might go two or three issues tops. This Sandman saga goes on for quite some time, and it covers... uh, Many issues of Superman crosses over into action to tell the complete Sandman story, uh, which is a terrific story. I'm sure it's been collected now somewhere. Uh, I don't know if it's been called Sandman Saga, but I know this particular story, issue two thirty three, the beginning, has been reprinted uh, in many places. greatest stories ever told uh, over and over again. It's been reprinted everywhere. so, and because it's that important and it needs to be uh, told again, uh, I really should have looked up, sorry, I should have looked up the, the actual uh, full run uh, of the Sandman saga. But the point is that once this issue hits the stands and I as a reader at the time realized this is a special comic, the story. I couldn't wait to get the next issue to find out what happens. And they did some really terrific stuff telling this story because they didn't just go right into now the Sandman. We see him walking off, but then in the next issues, Superman goes about his business doing other things so that the Sandman saga is the overarching story while the day-to-day routines of now Clark Kent becoming a TV anchor person, his relationship with Lois has changed somewhat, uh, his relationship with all of the Daily Planet has changed. It's, uh, the way things were done in those days was not a hard reboot, but a continuation of what had come before. I personally liked that, because even then we knew that not only was the story being told something special, But this art team now of Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson, as soon as you open it and look at the first page, you go, whoa. And every single page you turn. As I said, there are no lost panels. They didn't throw anything away in this sucker. And I think DC knew it. I think DC at the time and Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson... I think they all knew this is a special story and a special thing because the printing even looks good. And again, the way I would emphasize that you uh, compare these two is somehow get a hold of uh, issue number 231. Again, drawn by Kurt Swan, but inked by Dan Adkins. The difference is night and day. And no offense to Dan Adkins. He's a very competent inker but there is, I don't know, a sparseness, a something that, it's almost like there were no levels, no degrees, no dimension to the inking of Dan Atkins. It was just a very clean black line. Whereas Murphy Anderson's inking almost turns Kurt Swann's artwork into three dimensions. And Murphy Anderson did that for 50 years with DC, and he inked the best and the worst at DC, from Mike Sikowski in Justice League to Gil Kane in in, uh, um, the Atom and Green Lantern. Those Green Lantern uh, issues are just spectacular. Some of my favorite Green Lantern stories were from that time period. And then when he did the Atom and Hawkman, uh, and particularly Hawkman, I think when we started to see Murphy Anderson as the main artist in Hawkman, if you'd been reading Hawkman earlier and then you open one of the uh, Murphy Andersons, you go, whoa, this is is new. (laughs) This particular issue set up a whole new beginning for Superman. And you think, how much more could there be? And then you turn the page, and what's there? What is this? The Fabulous World of Krypton. Writer E. Nelson Bridwell. Artist Murphy Anderson. Yes, in the backup story, a Krypton story, entitled Jorel's Golden Folly, The only artist getting a listing here is Murphy Anderson. And it's funny because right on the front, the first page of the story, second panel, is what I think of as a very traditional, very uh, Murphy-esque face. uh, Close up on a Murphy Anderson drawn face. Right there in the second panel it's boom. Oh, there's Murphy Anderson's face (laughs) with uh, Jor-El in the background the basic idea of this story. It's a very funny story. It's a story about uh, young jor college-age Jor-El, Jor-El uh, discovers an anti-grav molecule or something like that. I forgot exactly. And is going to make uh, a rocket using this as the power source. Uh, but uh, because he doesn't have any money, but because he doesn't have any money, he has to use uh, the most plentiful metal on Krypton the cheapest most plentiful metal on Krypton happens to be gold so he makes the spaceship out of gold somehow Laura his future wife uh, stows away on the ship uh, hijinks pursue in this quick seven pages and jor saves her and you know things happen <laughs> and ends with a very nice loving embrace so The beginnings of Jor-El and Laura, called Jor-El's Golden Folly. But actually drawn, penciled apparently, and inked by Murphy Anderson. Incredible! Just when you think there was no more they could possibly do in this 15 cents comic book. And now they give you an entire Murphy Anderson. And to follow up, after that, the final splash page... Is a pinup of Superman. A new year brings a new beginning for Superman, 1971. And uh, it's a really nice uh, Superman, hands on hips, fists on his hips, smiling at you, looking at you. Uh, drawn by Kurt Swan and apparently inked by Murphy Anderson. So. Uh, If you want a Murphy Anderson comic that's worth its weight in gold uh, I suggest you pick up Superman Volume 1, number 233 It's a very It's it's an important issue and on this special Murphy Anderson show to actually remember now and realize after looking at this because I didn't at the time I only remembered the Sandman story and then get to the back page not the back page, but the back story. And realize it's a story uh, drawn by Murphy Anderson. And apparently inked by him. It looks all Murphy Anderson. So, uh, it, and it's got kind of an Adam Strange feel to it. So, it's very weird. But it's a, a terrific little sci-fi story. And uh, seven pages of Murphy Anderson art. Absolutely terrific absolutely terrific so I just wanted to say rest in peace Murphy Anderson his credits are long and it's just staggering when you think about the amount of work the man did so rest in peace Murphy Anderson well that's going to do it for episode number 95 of the Superman Forever radio podcast Next time on Superman Forever Radio, we have a very, very special show coming up. It's rare that I have a guest on the Superman Forever Radio podcast. It's very rare. But Michael Bailey and I had a little conversation and we happened to record it. And it's going to be a two-part episode. Part one will be here, Superman Forever Radio, on the next episode. With part two on views from the long box. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. What? You want to know what we talked about? Hmm. Well, seeing as I just mentioned a reboot that was done in continuity with Superman number 233, 15, 16 years later, in 1986, DC decided they were going to do a hard reboot of Superman for the first time. And they got John Byrne to do it with the miniseries Man of Steel. Well, Michael Bailey and I are going to talk about that. It's a good conversation. We talked for so long that we had to break it up into two episodes. So that'll be the next episode of the Superman Forever radio podcast. Now, if you want to get in touch with me, it's really easy to do it. You can send me some email, bob at supermanforever.com. And if you'd like to, you can actually record a message. Hit the record button on your telephone and then send that recording to me. Same thing. I'll put it on the air. So if you got a question, you got a comment, something you want to say, go ahead and do it. I'd love to hear from you. Bob at SupermanForever.com. You can also check me out on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, the Superman Forever Podcast page. Uh, I'd like you to join that. You'll get updates and uh, some discussions go on there. So that's it for now. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time. Superman is based on the original character appearing in Action Comics and Superman Magazine. Superman is copyright DC Comics. Any music or sound clips played on this episode are copyright the original copyright owners. Thanks a lot, people. We'll see you next time. The Superman Forever Radio Podcast is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, sponsored by the Superman Homepage.